Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at textfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. And you can become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Well, as always, we've got Ishmael Johnson here. Ish, what's up? Uh, a lot. A lot, a lot. Yeah, yeah. I... Um, yeah, a lot. <laughs> uh, what's going on with you? <laughs> oh, you know, just uh, just just going through my my first coup book. Um, yeah, yeah. This is good. This is pretty good, right? This is. I gotta look back in history to see how countries have handled these kind of things, but you know. <laughs> citizens trying to overthrow the government it's it's a it's a thing it's a thing yeah no government just vibes you know right exactly no security just vibes (laughs) you know yeah well i hope uh i hope everybody is staying safe out there uh and we we (laughs) so usually we record at 2 p.m on wednesday uh and uh this may come as a shock but we ended up starting a little later than usual it's about three (laughs) o'clock now (laughs) right there's uh, some things going on. There, there's some things going on. There's some things going on. And I'm sure I'm sure as soon as we get off this podcast, we're going to look and be like, what? Just right. <laughs> we're going to miss something gigantic. Um, <laughs> and you know what? That's okay. Let's be in our little weird oasis for just like an hour or so. Um, yeah. So I guess, uh, I guess now officially the college football season is over in the state of Texas as Texas A&M finished the final game of the season on January 2nd. Uh, and man, what a year, what a year. Yeah. Golly. I mean, after all, you know, seeing it come to a conclusion after all the, you know, off season talk about what the season would look like, what protocols would look like and all of that, like it, it's, it's a, it was a little bit weird to like go through bowl season yeah, and be like, oh, there's like, I don't know, like for, for me, I don't know if this was the same for you, but for me, I like, there were some days where I was like, oh, there's football on now. <laughs> like I'm usually right. like caught off guard sometimes by bowl games, you know, cause they're just, there's so many of them now, but this year particularly, I was like, oh, tomorrow's the Rose Bowl. Like <laughs> it was just like, there was no like anticipation from me there was no like real big you know it was cool when I saw that they were on I was like oh cool I got some football to watch but it right, wasn't right there was mostly like it was mostly getting caught off guard where I was like oh right the cotton balls today and it's like oh okay I guess and so you just you know you gotta turn it on and watch it but <laughs> there was just like so little fanfare in regards to like the entirety of bowl season yeah, I think that I think that one of the things for me is that usually bowl season is okay, it starts on December 15th, let's say, right? It starts mm-hmm. this day and you just know there's going to be one or two of those a day through the end of bowl season per se, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas whereas this year most of the like I guess sort of lesser bowls were canceled. And, um, you know, for example, I mean, I had to <laughs> when we were coming together and, and putting together the show notes like we kind of going through and I was trying to remember who actually played in a bowl game right like right it, it was kind of a weird deal because usually you know I mean um you know we have 12 teams and and let me think I think that seven of them ended up uh offic- no I guess eight of them I guess UNT went to a bowl game um <laughs> you know eight of them ended up technically making a bowl game but mm-hmm. let me think it's it's one two uh three 
four teams that ended up playing in them. Yeah. Like, you know, so it's, it just ended up being weird. And, and yeah, I mean, I think that you just kind of lose some of that rhythm that we usually get with the, with bowl season because so many were canceled. So many were, were taken off schedule. Uh, so many, you know, you just didn't have sort of a rhythm to get into. And so, yeah, I, I, I'll tell you what, I mean, after, after the season that was too, I think that I was kind of content to just kind of take a step back and, and not think too much about what was going on too, uh, mm-hmm. until, until sort of the bigger bowls and, you know, obviously, obviously the Texas bowls as well. Um, yeah, it was, it was a weird bowl season. It definitely was. And, uh, and bowl season's usually a little weird for me too, because you kind of are just trying to keep an eye on what's going on, but. Sure. And I think th- there was another, you know, for better or worse, the discussion around the group of five was pretty, obviously, pretty heightened this year. Um, yeah. Obviously, multiple teams being, you know, more than qualified to, you know, that we felt were more than qualified to be in the playoff. And so that, like, I feel like that mired a lot of, like, that tore down a lot of the facade about some of these, you know, quote unquote, prestigious bowl games. Yeah. Cause it was like, Oh, you know, they, yeah, they didn't get in the playoff, but they're going to the X bowl. And it's like, no one cared. Cause it was like, you know, they deserved more than that. Um, and so I do think that was part of the conversation as well. was like some people just like, Oh, this is like, these bowls don't matter aside from the playoff. And so like a lot of, you know, some of them do for just for the sake of good bowl, good matchups and fun games. But um, there was so much discussion around like Cincinnati and BYU and coastal getting snubbed and all these things that I feel like a lot of people tuned out some of the matchups that they probably would have been more excited for um, in a normal year. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree. And I think that, you know, there were some good bold matches, but I also do kind of feel like a lot of the matches... The matchups were, weren't great this year. I'll just say that too. Like right. Just, some of, as a whole, a lot of them were just were like, eh. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, and we did, I think, and, and for good reason, I want to just preface with that. We had more opt-outs mm-hmm. than usual this year, uh, you know, sure. as, as obviously players decided, <laughs> dang it, I've been going through a whole year of having to live under COVID, uh, you know, the intense guidelines for teams um, and deciding, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm kind of done with that, which we fully endorsed, by the way, but it did mean that some of these bowl games didn't end up being as meaningful let's say as some of the others right like I think Mm -hmm. that uh you know Oklahoma Florida for example that that was one that uh that was played in this state and like yeah Oklahoma went and crushed them but it's like I don't know I mean obviously it wasn't quite the same right like it didn't feel quite the same as if all their receivers were there or for Texas A&M you know they didn't play North Carolina's top two running backs it's it's just a weird deal um you know hopefully hopefully next year things are a little better and hopefully the other thing too is like yeah we, we didn't get to see coastal play against the power five team that would have been a lot of fun mm-hmm. uh you know just things like that so 100 I, I mean i do find it funny that like they were like uh they basically looked at coastal and like everybody's saying coastal should have a shot and they're like fine we'll put them with liberty and it's like liberty it was a good game but it was like right. we'll put them with the other good group of five teams it's like they won't give them a power five shot it's just like we'll put them in their own bubble and just say you guys fight it out liberty wins okay cool now we know nothing more about either of those teams like yeah. we're not going to test them against georgia we're not going to test them against anybody no you just fight it yourselves it, it, incredible tcu versus boise state energy in the 2000s like fine you want a shot play each other <laughs> right one of you guys is probably good we'll never know who <laughs> right exactly <laughs> but anyway let's go ahead uh so 
the way that we're going to do this, obviously, usually our Sunday show is kind of the one when we go through our uh, college power poll. Um, we put together our, our final college power poll a while back um, just because that's how it kind of went. It didn't really change during bowl season. Uh, and so we're going to go through it, though, uh, just kind of touch on each team, just kind of wrap them up a little bit. We'll, we'll have plenty of time to go do some deep dives over how the last season was, you know, so we're just going to kind of touch on them. But uh, let's go ahead and get started. So at number 12, we got Texas State. Uh, their season has been over for a long time at this point. Um, and, and by the way, <laughs> they have an interesting recruiting strategy this year. Man, that is, I, <laughs> I remember on signing day, we were like, hey, are they going to sign anybody? And they just decided to sign everybody <laughs> like in like the past week. <laughs> yeah, so they have one junior college recruit coming in who's the only, I guess, like sort of quote unquote recruit coming in. Mm-hmm. And then they have also added eight transfers to this point. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of them being uh, Nick McCann, a defensive tackle from Texas Tech. The, uh, a lot of these guys, Eric Sutton, from, uh, the cornerback from SMU, is another one from in the mm-hmm. state. Um, so eight overall, all of them from FBS institutions, several from Power Five institutions. Uh, and look, I mean, again, we, we don't want to dwell too long on this, but what do you think of this strategy? Because obviously th- there is a real push by Jake Spavadol to say, you know, 2021 has to be our year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's basically, it's, it's, they're trying to do the SMU strategy, right? Where it's like, we're trying to hit gold. And that's what they tried last year. The only problem with that is, you know, you're, unless you hit on all these guys, you're going to be cycling out roughly, you know, five to 10 players a year um, with the strategy, which is what we saw from this past year. Um, they signed a lot of guys from Tyler Juco, and I believe only one of them is still there on the team. Um, and, I mean, I mean, to Spavadol's credit, he never said that this was a rebuilding job, and he never – he always hinted that, like, Texas State is ready to make a move now. Um, but there's a mix, right? There's a blend. You have to be smart about this because if they have another season like this, you know, one to three wins – okay what do you do you you bring in 10 more transfers next year like you know because at that point you're also starting to deplete numbers which in the end was one of the biggest hurdles that withers had to overcome was that fran relied on juco's and by the time withers got there they just didn't have numbers like that was one of the biggest stories going through withers first two years was having basically only like I guess 30 to 40 FBS scholarship players and the rest being PWOs and walk-ons and like, you know, just guys who just weren't good enough. Um, And at some point, you know, eventually they were able to build that out. Um, And, you know, obviously they got fired and and Spavit had to come in, but that was part, (laughs) they had to worry about that in addition to like winning games. (laughs) And so having, a numbers problem is like one of the biggest death sentences you can have as a program when you just don't have enough bodies. Yeah. Well, and, and here's what I'll say. Um, they have added at least two of those guys. No, no. At least three of those guys have multiple years left. Right. Sure, so like, sure. you know, they're not necessarily going to be just 
guys who cycle out immediately. In fact, I think that Ty Evans, the quarterback who's coming in, I believe he might be a freshman. I think he's still, yes, yes. If he keeps his eligibility, he's still a freshman for right. Um, and, if he decides to roll that over. Right. And I think it's going to be interesting in general how programs deal with this because, you know, I mean, when, when you're a coach, you have like an eligibility board where you're trying to like not uh, overweight one class versus another. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious whether that's going to become a question uh you know, with Spaff, I'm curious how much he's looking at that. Cause, cause the other question too, right. Cause you mentioned w- what Withers had to deal with when he came in because of all the Juco kids who were recruited under Fran. I'm curious, right. Like obviously Spavadol, his plan was always, I'm going to turn this around and, and probably move on. Right. Like that's just, right. that, that's kind of the life of, of hiring a young coach at a, mm-hmm. you know, at a group of five program. But I'm curious you know, if this doesn't work, if they don't have this magical season in 2021, which we've, I mean, we've been pretty upfront. We think that they have a lot of room for improvement in 2021 and could be pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, how far behind are you putting yourself? And I mean, the other thing too, if you're the athletic department, are you saying you're going to tank us, uh, you know, once 2022 starts? Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's basically it. I mean, you're basically putting yourself in a spot to where if you don't, win six games next year like you have to look at this strategy as a I don't want to say a failure but definitely you have to rethink what your strategy is because I mean if Spavadol wins let's say even just four to five games which is an improvement on this year but still yeah. not the standard that not, you're not recruiting to not good yeah enough. um you know he's obviously not going to be able to move on because you know he's going to be uh, no one's going to hire him away and he's going to have to you know, is he just going to keep doing this again until 2022? It's like, okay, we'll bring in eight more transfers, 10 more transfers, you know? So it's risky. Um, SMU proved that it could work, right? but it was a one-year thing. They did it. We started winning. Okay, let's go to high school and let's, let's build our numbers again. This is two years of the same thing. Um, We'll see. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I was going to quickly mention SMU on that is, is that, you know, that was something in I'd be curious, you know, I, I don't know if I've gotten great insight from him on whether this was the case. I, I would be curious if Sonny Dyke's initial plan was to kind of get get a good season and get out, right? Sure, sure. Whereas yeah. now, I think it's very clear that he thinks that this is something that's maybe a long-term fit, kind of like mm-hmm. what we thought that Dana Holgerson might be at Houston, right? Um, and, you know, so you can flip the switch and you can mm-hmm. balance things correctly, and SMU's proven that. And I think that you look at the way they recruited the past two years, you look at this incoming class, like this doesn't mean that everything's going to forever be in trouble, right? But mm-hmm. um, but it is going to be interesting to kind of watch. And honestly, I mean, maybe maybe this should be a project over the offseason. We should try to put together the Tech State um, eligibility chart because it's going to be interesting yeah. to see how they're balanced. So. Definitely. Moving on, uh, number 11, Baylor. Uh, so Baylor, they were very aggressive after the season, uh, I was curious how, how Dave Aranda was going to handle that, but they ended up letting go offensive coordinator, Larry Fedora, passing game coordinator, and kind of uh, sort of an co-OC in George Munoz, and mm. also offensive line coach, Joe Wickline. And they made, I, I think, three fantastic hires to replace them. Uh, they bring in Jeff Grimes, the offensive coordinator from BYU, who, if you don't know anything about BYU's offense, first of all, go back and watch literally every single BYU game because they're <laughs> incredible to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were, along with Alabama, the best offense in the country, like mm-hmm. bar none. So 
This is somebody who has created uh, dynamic offenses the last couple of years at BYU. He's bringing in as his offensive line coach, because he actually has an offensive line background, which, which is, I think should be pretty exciting for Baylor fans. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's bringing in Ryan Pugh, who was his offensive line coach at BYU in 2018 and left to become a co-OC at Troy the last two years. Um, and actually, people might know him from being the center on Auburn's national championship game in 2010. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and yeah, so, so he's bringing him in as his offensive line coach. I am blanking right now on the receiver coach's name. Uh, Chancey Stuckey, former NFL receiver, is the new receiver coach. He was a grad assistant at Clemson last year. So three really, I think, interesting hires. Two very young coaches who are going to be, I think, hungry to prove themselves. And then obviously the more established Jeff Grimes. So I, I think that, look – there's no guarantees that anything's going to work. And I think that this past season <laughs> proved that once and for all to us with uh, how the Larry Fedora experiment went. But right. I, I think three really good hires. I think so too. I think the other thing about Jeff Grimes is a native Texan as well. Um, he is, I believe he, let me see, I'm looking at it right now. He's from Garland um, and he went to UTEP. Yeah. And so he knows the recruiting landscape landscape right he, he's familiar his background is here so he's mm-hmm. naturally familiar with the type of player that they're going to be recruiting um and obviously i think that also naturally from byu and from whatever whatever they were running this that uh this past year in the past couple years he knows how to open up offenses he got the best out of zach wilson and he even got the best out of uh the, their other quarterbacks who when zach wilson was kind of battling injury the past couple years um but it just goes to show you that when he finally landed you know, his healthy quarterback, like they just set the world on fire yeah. and have also having that offensive line background is promising as well. Cause he knows the importance and kind of Baylor's offensive line has been pretty bad. Uh, pretty past couple bad. Years. And so having an offense that can gear towards fixing that obviously Ryan Pugh will help with that as well, but having somebody's background in developing offensive line can only be beneficial as well. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. And I think, you know, I think that's something that we saw with uh, with Sam Pittman becoming the the coach at Arkansas. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that just bringing in that kind of mindset uh, to a team, I think, can be really helpful in developing. And also, I mean, we should also mention BYU's offensive line was also one of the best in the country. Tremendous, tremendous. Yeah. yeah, they had an All-American up there who's going to be, I, I believe, a first or second round draft pick. So, like, they weren't just a good offensive line for BYU. They were mm-hmm. just a straight-up good offensive line. So, Obviously, there's a lot of work to do. I don't know if they have the bodies on campus right now to be able to to do that, right? I, I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, they might. I mean, they've got a lot of talented guys, I think, but it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that. So, uh, but but overall, I think, you know, if you are looking at Dave Aranda after this past year, I was, again, very curious to see whether he was going to be aggressive or if he was going to just kind of be like, this was a weird year. We're going to just kind of r- ride with it, right? I kind of thought mm-hmm. that they might do that. So. Um, you know, I, th- I think credit to him for sort of jumping out there and saying, I think that we've found some things that don't work and I'm going to quickly sort of say that I was wrong, you know, because I think that that's some- uh, something that sometimes head coaches, especially er- early in their careers, are hesitant to do. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting. No guarantees, obviously, that anything's going to go any way, but, uh, but sort of in terms of the fundamentals of these hires, I think they're very good. So moving on to number 10, we've got the UTEP Miners, who I don't think we've talked about this as yet. They <laughs> have no coordinators. They yeah. fired both offensive coordinator Mike Canales and defensive coordinator Mike Cox 
after a season when, by any metric, they blew away expectations. Yep. You know, no, no coaches, no, uh, just vibes, man. It's all good. <laughs> just going to be, just going to be chilling. Dana Dimmel's going to be just, he's just chilling, man. Just let him, let him, let him soak in the new year. You know, it's fine. Let him embrace the coup like all we all, we all are. You know, it's fine. We're just, gonna, we're just all chilling, watching the news. <laughs> he's just vibing, man. He's vibing like the rest of us. It's all good. Who cares about coordinators? Coordinators are dumb. I, Gavin Hardison just calls the plays now. He's fine. I, I just don't get it. I truly don't get it. Um, I, I, <laughs> it'll it'll be, okay, so look, look, well, for, seriously, though, it'd be one thing if, like, you know, after this year, he fired him. It's like, oh, it's surprising. And then he comes back and says, bam, you know, home run hire X and Y, right? Exactly. Yeah, these, these, yeah, exactly. Zach Kittley is our offensive coordinator. Oh, damn, that's awesome, right? You know, UIW's offensive coordinator is now our home. Oh, that's cool. No, he just hasn't. He just he hasn't just replaced hasn't. them. Right. It's just like, it's one thing to replace them and have, like you said, and like I mentioned, have them ready to go, right? Like, oh, if we're going to upgrade. We know we did well this year, but we, we have our sights set higher. No, that's just not it. They're, they're still rolling through the Rolodex. They're still trying to figure out who they're going to talk to. I mean, yeah, it's sort of like you're saying, right? Like, I think that it could be very interesting if they got some youth in there, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I do think that this is such an old staff, um, you know, in terms of the leadership of the staff, obviously. Uh, You know, it would be interesting to get somebody who is, you know, in their 30s or in their 20s, because I think that that's one of the things, right? It's like, I kind of joked about this because there are some old photos that came out from when uh, when Jeff Grimes, the new Baylor OC, was at UTEP, Mm -hmm. and the staff they had there was insane. They had Andy Reid as their offensive line coach. They had Marty Morningwig. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh, who else did they have? They, they had two other guys who were future NFL guys, basically. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what you do if you're UTEP, right? You're just like, eh, let's see what happens, right? Let's hire some young guys and see if any of them can do anything. And this was obviously extremely not that hire with <laughs> Dana Dimmel, Mike Canales, and, and Mike Cox, you know, three, three guys who are quite respected, but obviously – aren't bringing something that you don't expect to the table. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's obviously at this point, it's been several weeks at this point. They were, they were fired before Christmas, I think. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we still don't have any news on who they could be. So I don't know. It's just, I, I don't know who would want to take this job right now. If, right. if this is kind of perceived as not, good enough i guess yeah i mean i'm just curious as to what he's looking for right because we haven't even heard names and so like i don't know what i feel more comfortable if we were hearing like oh they're considering so-and-so or they're considering so-and-so or even if they were looking to promote from within right somebody younger from within but it, it, yeah, Barry I don't Heisman, know. Of course, I don't. I have no. I have no idea what they're looking for as far as you know the direction they want to go. Right. Yeah, it's going to be a weird one. So uh, once they make a decision, we'll obviously have plenty to say about that. But nothing at this point. Uh, moving on to number mm-hmm. nine, the North Texas Mean Green. They played in a bowl game and it was bad. It was real bad. Uh, they played against Appalachian State, <laughs> and it turns out they cannot stop Appalachian State. And after the game. Clint Bowen was like, yeah, I'm good here. <laughs> so they are in the market for a defensive coordinator. Um, you know, the thing that I'll say about North Texas, and specifically North Texas defense, is 
they were hit as bad as anybody all year long by COVID. Like Mm -hmm. they had just weeks upon weeks where they had nobody. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think that there was a lot of context to their defense struggling. Like, I I don't think that per se you had to let go of Clint Bowen, and and I think it was legitimately mutual. I think that it was legitimately sure. being like, right, this right. sucks. I had no fun. <laughs> but uh, I just had that, a guy run for three hundred yards in a bowl game. I'm good. I'm, I'm right. done. And no, thank you. Uh, but but now you're in the market for your third defensive coordinator in three years. And listen, I think that we still feel pretty good that. That Seth Luttrell is a good coach, but like, I don't know, man. It's been a while since we've seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, to his credit, somewhat, uh, the offense did turn around more than I thought they would with an, with an inconsistent quarterback play. Right now, that's partially his fault that they didn't have more consistent quarterback play, but the running game was really good this year. Um, they, when they did have, when they did go into games with a set quarterback, the offense was never the issue. Yeah. Um, so that's a feather in his cap. Now where the rest of it comes into play is okay. Now the passing game has to get better. Now you have to find a quarterback now, you know, it's like now I think him taking back the play calling duties did do what he intended to do, but you're also the head coach and the defense has been trash for now a year. So um, I don't know. It's going to be, I think the offense will be fine. It depends on this hire and it depends on how these guys develop for on defense, because I think there is talent there. And now it's just more interesting because he's in almost certainly a make or break year next year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, Again, I don't think that when we saw his first couple of years, we thought that we would be here with him. I think that that's mm-hmm. the thing that's probably the most shocking thing about all of this. But mm-hmm. we are here. I mean, we are here. So, I, right. yeah, I agree. It is going to be a make-or-break year for him. And, and speaking of make-or-break, moving on to number seven, the University of Houston. I, we are two years into the Dana Holgerson experiment, and <laughs> I feel like I know nothing about anything. <laughs> <laughs> like like if you, um, if you told me that they actually have played no games with dana holgerson i'd probably believe you like i just feel like we've learned absolutely nothing yeah um i mean we've learned that you know todd graham at his retirement gig is better than they are right now <laughs> um laid todd graham is, <laughs> is just absolutely roasting the university of houston right like okay let's be honest here this wasn't close no like this, it ended twenty eight fourteen. This right. was twenty one nothing. Right <laughs> after the first half, right. Houston had to like get get its ass in the gear in the third quarter. It's like, oh, we got to play football, guys. And then he, then then like when they started to, Hawaii was like, yeah, no, it's over. And then they just <laughs> scored on a kickoff, and that was it. That was just right. the end of the game. Right. Um, yeah, I have no idea what the trajectory of Houston is anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. The running, I thought, you know, the running, the running backs are supposedly good. <laughs> um, well, saying like we've seen them be good, we've seen them be good, but like I don't know. Uh, I thought Clayton Toon was good. Yeah. Um, aside from that first first couple games, he really hasn't been. I thought the defense could be good. 
they definitely have not looked consistent. <laughs> um, I don't know what his recruiting strategy is. Yeah. I have not even, I honestly do not even know what they have. Uh, let me see what they have coming um, as far as rankings go. Cause I mean, I feel like me and you were at least somewhat plugged into what's going on around the state and I just haven't heard Houston's name. Right. I don't right. know. Yeah. I mean, I will say, right. Like I think that. I think that they're currently eighth in the AAC for 2021. Right. I think it's interesting because, because Houston is always a program that's a little bit like disconnected from everybody else. I feel like, um, mm-hmm. and like, especially this year, man, it's just with all the cancellations, like I, I don't remember, I, I don't remember much from this past season, right? Like just in general, yeah. like, you yeah. know, I mean, I remember that Tulane game when they came back. Uh, I remember like flashes from the BYU game and like, I don't know, like, they, they didn't do that much. And now you head into next year, you lose Grant Stewart, you lose Peyton Turner, you lose Marquez Stevenson, uh, Keith Corbin's transferring, Colin Samuel's transferring, Terrence Edgerton is transferring, right? So like, mm-hmm. and the funny thing about it is that I, I've joked about this before, but <laughs> Clayton Toon has become an upperclassman faster than anyone I can ever remember, right? Like <laughs> it, it right. still feels like he's a true freshman, <laughs> but he's, right. you know, I mean, thankfully he'll get a second junior year after the, after the eligibility stuff. But like, I don't know, man. This is so weird. I, I just don't, I don't know what to think about this, right? Like, I, I mm-hmm. thought, I thought at minimum that they would be one of those teams who's just always competitive, that you know finds a way to pull an upset here or there, because that's kind of what Dana did, right? Like, mm-hmm. I know that, I know that, um, you know, one of the issues that West Virginia fans have had with Dana is that he's not super consistent. You know, that that was really something that I think that people turned on him about is that. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're supposed to be good, he, they weren't good every single week. But that's not even – it's not even been that, right? Like, right. it's just they've, they've struggled to ever sort of reach their potential because we've seen the flashes of really good defense. We saw the flashes for Clayton, too. We saw the flash of the running game. They have so much skill talent. I, I just don't know what we do now, right? Like, what's, what's right. going to change? So I'm thinking – I'm trying to think back. Did – I'm looking back at the schedule really fast. Outside of, yeah, no, okay. So that was my question. The pat this year, and let me look at 2019. Has Dana Holgerson beaten a single coach that you would consider better than him, um, or even equal? Uh, I mean, I mean, Willie Fritz. <sighs> better than Dana Holgerson? I, I'd say equal. Fair. Okay, so that's one. Uh, yeah. Last year's wins, Prairie View, North Texas, UConn, Tulsa. Yeah, I mean, obviously, none of those are especially inspiring. I mean, it every on- single like I don't I don't see him out gaming any coach. Uh, you know, Willie Fritz was one, right? So you know, first game of the year, congratulations. Well, and and cr- go ahead. Yeah. The thing that I'll say about about it because I think that also the, the other question is how you feel about Ken Yamadalolo, who I think is a qu- quite a good coach. But like the thing that you say about both of those wins is that both of those teams were in big rebuilding years, right? Sure, like, sure. Yeah, no, this definitely isn't a, na- a quote-unquote Navy year. Right, right, right. And so, like, so when you're talking about the two coaches who are as good slash better than him who he quote-unquote out-schemed, like, this is supposed to be a culmination team for, yeah. for Dana Holgerson. Right, right. And, and yeah, I mean, you look at, uh, you look at their losses. I mean, again, Todd Grant aside, uh, you know, I think I obviously, you know, Kalani Sataki and Jeff Grimes at BYU, they did a great job against Dana. And I think that Josh Heupel, Luke Fickle, 
right? I mean, they, they kind of coached his Whoever the off. Memphis coach is now, I forgot his <laughs> Ryan name. Ryan Silverfield. Ryan Silverfield. I mean, like, I don't, I'm not saying Ryan Silverfield is better than Dana Holgerson right now, but, I mean, like, it, I don't know. Like, these – the best thing to me that happened to Dana Holgerson this year was SMU and Tulsa getting canceled. Yeah. Because SMU could have got ugly. Yeah. And getting beat in the state by somebody that bad yeah, could have been bad. Tulsa as well. Because Tulsa, as we know, they look ugly doing it. And, like, winning ugly against Houston would probably make things even more frustrating <laughs> for right. Houston. So, I don't know. It's been two years now, and I haven't seen Dana Holgerson or Houston beat a team or even – like, BYU is the exception, I guess. But, like, for the most part, they haven't even, like – when was the last time that you looked at Houston you're like, damn, this is – I love what I'm seeing here, right? You yeah. know, where you're like, oh, this is this is the Houston I've been wanting to see. And I was like, I haven't seen it since well, like, I, I, first year. I will tell you exactly when it was. It was uh, looking at the depth chart before they played a game this year. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. Oh, I like what Houston has. And you're like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's it's frustrating. I mean, that's, that's the only no- word I know how to describe this is, is it's been frustrating. And so, yeah, lots going to need to happen over this offseason. So it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. So moving on to number six, Rice. Uh, Rice, I, they didn't play in a bowl game, I don't believe. And so, yeah. um, you know, I think good season overall. They only play, ended up playing, I believe, five games. Um, they showed a lot of the things that we hoped that they'd show, obviously beating mm-hmm. Marshall like they did, playing close against UAB like they did. Uh, and they also had, obviously, some bad moments. But I think overall – it's 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 a very different situation obviously than Houston I feel like but um you know it kind of was a we saw some of what we hoped to see but we didn't get enough to see sort of proof of concept as yet so um you know I I think that I think that my answer is nothing that happened in 2020 ended up changing how I felt about Rice right and I don't know a whole lot more to add other than that to me yeah no it's like I mean five games you know they looked okay um a lot of the things that went wrong, you, I feel like you can chalk more up to natural development as well as getting the season started late. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, moving on to number five, <laughs> TCU. This, Ooh. this is, this is this such is, a weird this team. It's going to be fun. <laughs> this is such a weird team, man. I, I just don't even know what we're doing here. Like, oh, I just realized that we skipped over Texas Tech at number oh. eight. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's go oh, back let's, to tech. Let's well, go back. They're, they're, related. they're related. I mean, we can talk, we can go into tech from tech to t- TCU. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Texas tech, obviously they hire Sonny Cumbie as offensive coordinator. Um, yeah. And, and we talked about Sonny Cumbie quite a bit, I believe two podcasts ago. And uh, you know, I mean, basically for us, the thought process is, you know, I think that this Texas tech roster has a lot of air raid talents on it. Mm-hmm. I think that they've got a lot of the rushing talent that, that Sonny Cumbie, has a that will fit what Sonny Cumbie has done the last couple of years at TCU and yeah I mean I think that I think that you know if we want to loop in TCU with this I think that this is a good move for both sides because it was just time at TCU he was basically being phased out and um and I think that at Texas Tech first of all he has the opportunity to to create an offense that will be solely hits right like there's not going to be any question about this person's interfering or this person's taking responsibility or Gary Patterson's looking over his shoulder. It's not going to be any questions about that. This is all going to be him. And, uh, and I think that's going to be both kind of scary, but also I think it's going to be good for Cumbie. And, and I do think 
I do think that this Texas Tech team has more quote unquote air raid talent than TCU has had since, I mean, arguably 2015. I mean, they, they haven't kind of had those guys for a while. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think that's, I, I like the hire a lot. I think that Matt Wells is kind of in a, I don't want to say a no win situation, but a no, he really didn't have another decision to make he, or another option to make, I should say. Um, he, the offense that he wanted to install just wasn't working. Um, I still think they recruited enough talent to be able to do whatever they need to with Sonny Cumbie effectively. Um, I, the only thing I'm skeptical of is, I guess what everybody should naturally be skeptical of is how much of, this wasn't the first year that TCU's offense struggled with Sonny Cumbie. And so... Um, obviously he was being phased out with the higher Jerry Kill and, and Doug Meacham coming back. So this specific gear, you probably can't chalk up to him, but um, there were moments of Gary Patterson trying to phase him in more. Um, now, granted, again, you mentioned it, Gary Patterson's always going to be looking over your shoulders. So how much did that weigh in as well? Um, in a nutshell, I don't hate the hire because we have seen, um, whether it be the Kenny Hill TCU team, or even, I believe, uh, 2013 Cliff at Tech, we have seen him be a part of good offenses. Yeah. Um, and explosive offenses. So I think it's something to look forward to. And if if there is anything left of Alan Bowman, <laughs> um, I think this is the right way to go. And if not, then okay, cool. Baron Morton, step on in. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, moving on to TCU. So TCU, again, did play in a bowl or they did not end up playing in a bowl game because it was canceled. They were supposed to play against Arkansas. Uh, And so they end the year at six and four. They end up winning, uh, what, five of their last six games, which is insane, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of of what we were joking about with Houston. Like, I don't feel like we ever really got to see peak TCU. Right. Oh, by the way, they added a transfer, too. Yeah. Yeah. Out of Chandler uh, Morris. <laughs> Chandler Morris. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see how that quarterback battle goes. It's it's going to be really interesting. I would assume, I mean, again, we'll, we'll see. I, I would assume that they will stick with Duggan. Um, sure, sure. But who knows? I mean, it, really, who knows? I, I think yeah. it's going to be really interesting to see. And, uh, yeah, I mean, again, the fact that in a year where I don't think that TCU ever looked particularly good, they win five of their last six games and finish with a six and four record. I mean, that is mm-hmm. not bad work if you can get it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so um, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle their offensive coordinator role. Now I would assume that they would probably just shift guys around on staff. Cause that's kind of been Gary Patterson's MO the past couple of years, but I am curious to see, you know, I, I mean, I think that the 2020 offense was sort of, I think that Sonny Cumbie was pretty phased out of it. Mm. I, I don't think that that was sort of his offense. I think that was more Doug Meacham and Jerry Kill's offense. So I'm curious now, you know, for example, does Jerry Kill just become a full-time staffer? Does, uh, sure. you know, because technically he's not a, an on-field assistant right now. Does uh, mm. does Doug Meacham take over that responsibility? I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> do they promote Kenny Hill? Obviously that could be something mm-hmm. that they could consider too. There's, there's also been some talk uh, of, they, they might have like a volunteer assistant on staff who could end up being a full-time staffer. I don't know. There, there's a lot of talk going around right now, obviously. Right. Um, I don't expect it to be really any different next year, uh, but you know, so you head into next year and you've got a bunch of guys back. You do lose Trevon Merrig and you do lose Garrett Wallow who are both off to the NFL, but you know, a lot of, a lot of experience coming back on both sides of the ball. Uh, and our Darius Washington on defense too is gone. Um, 
So I think that 2021 is going to be, I think that it kind of needs to be a little bit of a culmination year for them. So uh, I don't know. I'm curious to see if they're up for this. Yeah. Moving on to number four, uh, we obviously talked about Steve Sarkeesian coming to Texas. They did play a bowl game. And I got to say, Casey Thompson looked pretty dang good. Yeah, that was that was kind of fun. Um, I think I tweeted it during the game. Uh, I'll speak on Casey Thompson in a little bit, but one of the biggest indictments of the Tom Herman of Tom Herman's last year is like not realizing Bijan Robinson was his best player on offense <laughs> until like the last month. Um, Cause dear God, is he awesome too? Um, but yeah, Casey Thompson, I mean, he comes in, Sam Ellinger gets hurt. Uh, did he play the whole second half? Casey Thompson? Uh, I believe, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and he come. I mean, man, he's ripping the ball down the field. He looks really good. Like, he looks composed, and it, it looks calm. Like, there were some people, you know, screaming, like, oh, he should have been the starter. It's like, I, don't, I wouldn't go that far. But <laughs> no, no. I would go as far as to say, I don't know if Hudson Card's the nailed-on starter for next year. Um, he might be – he might have the upper hand after camp or everything, but I don't think it's a nailed-on thing right now because, I mean – he stepped in, you know, after getting barely any reps and the game wasn't exactly over. Um, and he, he came in and basically put it to rest. It was pretty good. Like I, I liked what I saw. I didn't, I don't know anybody who knew much about anything about Casey Thompson. No. And I mean, hell it looks good so far. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I think that, and, and this is obviously partially the fact that, uh, that, you know, we, we are a Texas high school football outlet, but also just in yeah. general that, um, that obviously Hudson Card and Jaquindon Jackson both played high-level football and were big stars in, in high school. But, yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of us, uh, you know, I'd, I'd include myself in that, kind of counted out Casey Thompson and kind mm-hmm. of assumed that, okay, well, when Ellinger leaves, it's Hudson Card's show. And it's really interesting. You know, I think that he came in, he threw the ball well. He only threw the ball – 10 times, but completed eight passes, 170 yards, four touchdowns against mm-hmm. a pretty good Colorado team. Uh, I think it, he was very impressive. And the thing is too, right? Like, like we only got to see him throw the ball 10 times. I'm not going to, you know, right. I don't want to sit here and say he's going to average 17 yards an attempt for an right. entire season. But I think that the thing that I liked is that I knew that he could move. I knew that he, uh, he was obviously a, a decent runner, but he also, I, I thought, was pretty decisive when he was asked to throw the ball. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that he had good awareness, which is always something that I look for in a quarterback, uh, especially, you know, a first-time sort of guy getting uh, getting playing time for the first time. Um, you know, I thought he did a lot of the little things right. And I think that, for me, that was where I thought that maybe Hudson Card might be able to separate himself, is by, mm-hmm. you know, being a little bit more aware because he played a little bit higher-level football, um, you know, in high school. Uh, but I, th- I thought that Thompson looked really good. So it's going to be interesting now because I think that Thompson is would have been such a good fit for Tom Herman, right? Like I think mm. that I think that he would have been such a good fit for that sort of spread, that power spread offense that obviously Tom Herman coached to a national championship a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be curious now with Steve Sarkeesian in whether he says, I really want a pocket passer in Hudson Card. Um, I think sure. that Casey Thompson can be that though. Like, I don't, I think that yeah. I saw enough from him in this game that I feel confident that that's within him though. Right. No, that, that was the same. I felt the same way. I think there was one throw to Cade Brewer where he yeah. had a rusher in his face and he ended up stepping up into the pocket. Like it, it, I think he, it was supposed to be a screen or something. And he, uh, there was a rusher in his face. He ended up stepping up into the pocket, kind of a little bit off balance too. And finding Cade Brewer over the middle. 
Um, and he like regained his composure and all that. And like, I was like, Oh, that's a, that's a great throw and a great yeah. decision. Um, and I feel like there, there was a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say like until that point, I think they were pretty safe with him. Um, you know, there was a lot of one reads, a lot of quick read decisions, things like that. But that was the play where it was like, Oh, he had to, you know, he had to go off his first read. He had to look away from the main option and, he was a, I don't know, like there were, they threw different situations at him and he looked good in all of them. So yeah, I think, I, I think people will probably say that Hudson card is penciled in probably for next year, but I think it should be, uh, we should be open to the possibility that Casey Thompson could be taking the snaps in 2021. Yeah. I, I think the biggest blessing heading into the Sarkeesian era for Casey Thompson is that he got that one year under Mike Yersich because yeah. You know, Mike Yurcich runs a lot more downfield stuff than obviously Tom Herman did. Tom Herman, you know, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of spread offense. And and obviously with Sarkeesian, there's going to be plenty of spread. But I think that for Thompson, the fact that he had to, you know, kind of step up in the pocket in practice and he had to make some of those downfield throws, I think that's going to really help him with Sarkeesian coming in because I do think that a lot of what Sarkeesian does is going to overlap with some of what Mike Yersich did. So it's going to be a really interesting quarterback mm-hmm. battle. Um, you know, I, I guess, I guess the only other kid that they had coming in, right. Was Charles Wright from Austin high school. And um, yeah. And I don't expect him to, to sort of be ready to compete with those two guys. So it's probably going to be right. a Thompson versus card battle. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top, both very, very talented players. So, uh, and the other thing I'll say too, right. Is that I think that a lot of people expected, Thompson to transfer uh, after yeah <laughs> being behind Ellinger and and obviously with Card and Jaquinda Jackson coming in and this is why man this is why guys stick around you never know who's gonna who's gonna step up and and potentially be really good so credit to him uh moving on to number three we got SMU SMU had what would have been a tremendous bowl game against DTSA canceled uh which mm-hmm. just absolutely sucks oh man I I cannot believe we <laughs> lost that game but uh but SMU Another great season under Sonny Dykes. Now they got a whole bunch of good players coming in. Shane Bichelle off to the NFL, but they got a transfer in Tanner Mordecai from Oklahoma, who people might remember from being a quarterback at Hewitt Midway uh, and leading them to a state championship. I believe we we referred to this last time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I think that for SMU, really solid season overall. Like, I think think that last year, right, you have that 10-win season and you're like, this is – you know, this is proof that you can do something here. But I think that sometimes that second season can be just as important, just to prove that this wasn't a fluke. This is something that maybe has some legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that – and the question mark is always going to be, you know, what happens after Shane Michelle, right? Because he was always – he was always such a great get for the immediate, you know, trajectory of this program. And it's like, okay, well, what was the plan after? Obviously, you recruit Preston Stone, you get him in. And now you potentially have Tanner Mordecai. So you have, okay, you have depth, right? You have a, you have a legitimate quarterback battle. Let's see which one of these guys you're going to give the offense to. I think it's pretty, you can probably assume that it'll be Mordecai just from experience, but um, SMU's recruiting in general has just been really good. And I, we mentioned it with uh, what Texas State's doing, you know, they had a year of getting these transfers in and building out the immediate, I mentioned the immediate trajectory. Now they're in the high schools again. They're in the DFW again, right? They're, they're really, really staking their claim. I'm looking at it right now. One, two, three, 
four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve players from the DFW area for twenty twenty one committed right now. Yeah, like yeah. It, it, they're they're really doing something special. Yeah, no, I, I think that. Like we said, you know, we weren't sure maybe when Sonny Dykes came in if he was just trying to have a brief stopover to move to another job. But I think that he's realized that, you know what, it's a better life being a great group of five coach than mm-hmm. ending up at a, at a dead end in, in the power five. Mm-hmm. And I think, that, uh, I think that SMU, you know, the thing that they've done really well these past couple of years is, is obviously, like you mentioned, build those relationships. Uh, Shane Bouchard obviously was huge in terms of bringing attention to the program. First of all, from Texas fans, I think that that, yeah. that was big for the program, but also obviously with his success, and and now you've got something sustainable there. And and I think that the other thing too that they've done really well is is the staff that they've hired consistently has been great. I mean, Garrett Riley, I, I think you know he steps in for Rhett Lashley, has a great year as offensive coordinator. I, I mean, I just think this is I think when you look at group of five programs, this is kind of becoming a model for what I think that you want from it, right? Because mm-hmm. You've got a coach, um, you know, even, even if you look at some of the other uh, programs that are sort of the top group of five programs, you know, all of those programs are to some level at risk of their coach leaving, right? Because you've got a Luke Fickle who obviously is going to get looks for big jobs. You've got a Josh Heupel who maybe could be like that. But I think that for SMU, right, you've got a guy who wants to be there, who seems to really embrace being there, has really kind of changed the message coming from that program. Um, no, I mean, I, I think that they're in great shape and – I'll be curious now, right? Because Shane Bouchelle's gone. You're going to have good quarterback play, but you don't know if it's going to be as good as Shane Bouchelle. Uh, I'm going to be curious to see, you know, now can you lean more on the running game? Can you get more from your receivers? Uh, I'm going to be really curious to see uh, how they kind of build this forward. Yeah, no, me too. And I mean, there's no reason to believe that, uh, or there's no reason to not be optimistic about it. Yeah, no question. So moving on to the surprise team of the year at number two, the UTSA Roadrunners. UTSA, they get a really, really tough matchup against Louisiana in the bowl game. And I think, uh, I, think I speak for both of us when I say that we kind of expected Louisiana to, to roll UTSA. Not because we don't have respect yeah. for UTSA. Everybody knows we have huge respect for, for Jeff Trailer and UTSA. But, I mean, we're talking about the number 19 team in the country, right? Like, we're talking about right. a team that is built around being able to bowl teams over. and uh, And – they just didn't. Uh, UTSA kept it within 31-24 in the bowl game, in the, in the first responder bowl. And I, I thought that, you know, Sincere McCormick looked like he was Sincere McCormick, even against a great defense. Uh, Frank Harris, I thought, had a really good game. I mean, look, it's a loss, obviously, but I think you still have to feel really good about what happened. Mm-hmm. No, I, I definitely do. I think the one thing that – and this has been UTS – or uh, I should say Louisiana's M.O., basically going back to Hudspeth is the, I mean, just the overpowering up front. Right. Um, and that's where UTSA got beat, plain and simple. They, you know, Louisiana's running game was able to just absolutely dominate. Um, they, Levi Lewis really didn't have to stress that much in the passing game. Um, right. They were able to control the ball and UTSA couldn't stop them. Um, that's not anything to sneeze at because that's literally again that's always been louisiana's thing is beating you up front and beating the sunbelt teams up front and seeing utsa match up against arguably their best version of that is promising um and make being able to make plays on their own um since your mccormick was good right obviously um zakari franklin was great 
And Frank yeah. Harris did what he had to do. Like, you know, he, he wasn't a world beater, but, you know, he's never had to be. And that's not what uh, Trailer asks him to do. You mentioned that you always compare him to, or not compare him, you always reference his high school background as like, you know, just making things work and making, putting your players in the best position. And that's what he did with Frank Harris all year. And that's what they asked him to do this game. Yeah. And I mean, look again, what it came down to at the end of the day was like you said, was that Louisiana just has some giant dudes up front and they ran the ball. That That's basically, that's basically <laughs> just it, right? Like they just have those dudes yeah. and, and, and they I mean, and they made and they tried to pressure Frank Harris a lot too. Like right, were, he was he was running around a lot. <laughs> right, but you know, I mean, and, and for example, you know, that's how Alabama went, won all those first couple of national titles. Right, it's like mm-hmm. they were just bigger and they ran over you. There's not really, you know, if you can't if you can't win that battle, there's not a whole lot you can do. And and UTSA is in there first year under a new head coach, and and obviously there's a lot of work to do. Right, from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, again, I think in. Every other aspect of the game, I thought that, that U2SA was tremendous. And, um, yeah, just exciting stuff, man. I can't believe we get to see more Sincere McCormick next year. I can't believe we get to see more Zakari Franklin next year. I think he's going to be a guy who is going to really push. Uh, I, I think he's going to make us look dumb for leaving us uh, him off of our All-Texas College team. Right. Uh, you know, so exciting stuff, man. Exciting stuff. Great, great, great. So, and now we finish up with the number one team, the Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, very, very impressive. You know, I think that me and you both had really high expectations of the Aggies heading into this year, but nine and one in a conference only schedule, a two touchdown win in the bowl game over North Carolina. I, I mean, just such an impressive season. Yeah. I mean, this was basically what we had hoped for um, yeah. when we were making the magazine and kind of projecting their season. Um, the Alabama loss kind of made everybody kind of step back and say, Ugh, are they ready to make this leap? Right. And turns out Alabama just might be a, a nuclear bomb. Um, right, right. <laughs> so it's not really A&M's fault. Um, but yeah, this is awesome. Like North Carolina is a really, really good team. I believe they're top 10 in SP plus, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Um, Sam Howell might be the number one overall pick next year. And A&M looked really good. Like the defense played pretty solid. Uh, dear God, Devon Chain, like <laughs> he, just when we thought that, you know, spillers out oh no there goes the offense it was like oh by the way true freshman get in there like (laughs) just win the game for us and the fact that they're gonna have potentially two game breakers back there um to help i would assume haynes king um usher in 2021 is pretty exciting a&m it's been a long time since a&m's lived up to hype like this because even when you go back to manzel like it was a lot of him doing things and there were still some letdown losses in there during those runs. Yeah, no question. And, and that's the thing, right? It's like, I think that in terms of, uh, of I guess, sort of the, the regional and national people making predictions, right? Like, I think mm-hmm. that we were on as high, uh, we were as high of A&M as anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we had them, I believe, 10 and 2 in their original schedule in the magazine. We had them losing to Bama and then just dropping one, right? Like, that was our thought. Right. right. And, then, you know, you, you move to a 10-game conference schedule and you had Florida and Tennessee. I didn't feel great about those, right? Like, I, I thought that maybe, you know, we're looking at two or three losses. And, you know, again, I, I, think, that, uh, I think that the biggest credit that you give to A&M is that they never slipped up. They never yeah. made a mistake. And the other thing that you say, too, is, okay, those first two games, not good, right? Like, <laughs> the, the five-point win against Vanderbilt and, and the, the big loss to Alabama, no good. Mm-hmm. 
But after that, you know, you beat number four Florida. And then every other game was multiple scores, right? Like yeah. they went out and proved that they were better than everybody else. And yeah, I mean, this wasn't like the best SEC that there's been in the last couple of years, but this is usually a team that drops one dumb game along the way, right? <laughs> like, you know, we've, we've seen that obviously the Mississippi schools are always a problem, right? Obviously, yeah. you know, LSU has been a problem in the past. And that's the thing that you say is, you know, we <laughs> – like a and I understand that this wasn't the best LSU team, but they beat them by two touchdowns and we felt bad about it, right? <laughs> that, that's a tremendous amount of respect that, yeah. uh, that I think that A&M deserves. And, and like you mentioned, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting, obviously, to see who ends up leaving, who ends up coming back. We already know that two offensive linemen are gone, and I think rebuilding that offensive line uh, is going to be obviously the most important thing. But – I mean, you return a lot of your skill position talent. You have the, that running back talent. Uh, you know, on the defensive line, I mean, my God, DeMarvin Leal isn't even eligible to enter the league as yet. I, I yeah. mean, listen. I think PV announced that he was coming back as well. Whew. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. You know, I mean, this is, this is crazy yeah. stuff. I mean, obviously, we'll see what happens with, like, Bobby Brown. I, I would think that he probably goes. But, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they have so many guys on the defensive line. I'm not too worried about that. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think that some of the backups stepped in and played very well uh, at linebacker, especially after Anthony Hines ended up declaring for the NFL before the season. And and really, you kind of look then, um, you know, I think that last piece that, that was good and probably can take a step forward next year is a defensive back group where you bring back Damani Richardson, you bring back Leon O'Neal, uh, you have some guys who have experience at cornerback. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think that this is going to change next season. Sure. No, I don't think so either. I think, I mean, we both like Haynes King coming into the starting, mm-hmm. presumably coming into the starting job. I think even regardless, he has enough playmakers around him uh, to be able to be, to be able to slowly be weaned into the role. Um, the offensive line should still be good. They still have Kenyon Green there. So like, you know, they're losing some experience around Kenyon Green, but when you have that anchor, you know, potentially all American anchor there, I mean, building around that isn't difficult. Um, and it, it's, this trajectory it's weird because we were when Jimbo Fisher was hired right we had these games in mind but we weren't sure if he was gonna do it right because it was obviously a home run swing that they took and but it was also them saying look if he can't do it no you know this isn't just who we this just isn't who we are that was basically what we assumed if Jimbo right. Fisher can't get this done with all these resources and all this financial backing and all this elite recruiting, then and it just can't get done in it. And right. he's showing, no, it can, it can, it can get done. Right. And this year was the year to get to prove, you know, this specifically this New York six bowl, you know, contending for the playoff, um, making that push. Eventually I can, unfortunately next year it's going to take a step back just because you can't expect that from Haynes can't quarterback uh, in year right. one, but now, okay, here's what we know this program can be with Jimbo Fisher. Now, when you get into year two or three with Haynes King, okay, here's where we go, right? Recruiting is still there. Uh, recruited, they're still recruiting at a very high level. And so two, three years down the line, okay, we're going to be in another expectation to where a push for the playoff is going to be around the corner, right? Is going to be um, uh, on the horizon. And one more thing I did want to hint on. Kellen Mond's career. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about it. Yeah. Because obviously, presumably, it's going to be done, right? He has no reason yeah. to come back. He should be 
probably a day three, maybe late day two draft pick, in my opinion. Yep. There's a lot of polarizing opinion around who Kellen Mond is and what Kellen Mond and his tenure at quarterback kind of represented. I think more or less you have to look at Kellen Mond's career as a success. Yeah. And you cannot, you can't minimize what the team did with him as starting quarterback because we've seen perhaps better quarterbacks be part of worse teams and not elevate those bad teams. We've seen quarterback. I, I, I mean, honestly, if you would, if you put Kellen Mond versus Kyle Allen, there probably AM fans will be like, yeah, give us Kyle Allen. It's like those teams didn't do anything. Right. Like those teams with Kyle Allen didn't do anything. The team with Kenny Hill didn't do anything. Like, if you just look at the quarterbacks that have given you play and the, since Manziel, or even probably Manziel and Tannehill, as far yeah. as like good quarterbacks that you would take over Kellen Mond, that's it. I don't yeah. know. Like, I don't know what more you could have asked for this guy. Sure. Whether, did you want, do you want him to be better in some spaces? Sure. Yeah. Everybody does. You always want a better quarterback, but I don't see with what they had and what he gave them, you could have expected more. Like, are they beating Bama with a slightly better quarterback? I don't think so. Yeah. No, no, I, I don't think so. And I think that the other thing that you say about him is that he's played his best in their biggest games, right? I think he's yeah. played well against Alabama. I think that he is one of the primary reasons that they beat Florida, obviously, this year. Um, you know, he played very well, I think, in the bowl game against North Carolina. And, and I think, you know, last year, obviously, in the bowl game uh, against uh, Oklahoma State, you know, he struggled passing the ball, but still, you know, ended up scoring two touchdowns with breakaway runs, right? Like, he has mm -hmm. done enough every single year. Now, yes, maybe the question is, you know, Colin Mond isn't leading blowouts, right? Like, sure. that, that is something that I think you can say, but also, like, that's kind of a Jimbo offense thing too, right? Like, I was, I was about, yeah, I was just what I was about to say. I don't think we ever saw the perfect marriage between those two. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, the, the thing that I'll say uh, as well, you know, I've had this conversation with other people is, you know, I am very curious to see if Kellen Mond plays his career under Urban Meyer or Lincoln Riley. Mm. Mm -hmm. how, how different does he look right because I think that a lot of this you know gets uh, I, I think that a lot of his influence and, and impact is reduced to well he just didn't have the ability well I, I don't think mm -hmm. that he was best suited to do the things that he was asked to do in this offense and you know I think it's a real credit to him that despite being in not an ideal situation for a skill set that he still managed to mm -hmm. You know, again, obviously there, there's a lot of context, uh, context in the numbers, but but lead Texas A&M as as one of the most statistically productive quarterbacks in program history, and um, sure, you know, I think that uh, this is this is, I think uh, you know some people some people had a laugh with this, but but I think that there is something to this, right? Billy Luch from over at Texags compiled and said, Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher is 26 and five against teams that were not coached by Nick Saban or Dabo Swinney, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, obviously, obviously the flip side is, yeah, you got to play them. <laughs> you, have to, right. you have to win those games. <laughs> but at the same time, I think that, that, I think that that's a credit still to this program that, you know what, they have been as good as almost anybody other than those top-level teams. And, and, right. and I'll also add, obviously, last year LSU and then, like, George of the last couple of years into that, right? Mm -hmm. 
you know, they've been as good as anybody. And I think that Kellen Mond has been a central part of that. Um, yeah. and, and moving. I will say the other, the other thing before you, before you go, the one yeah. thing that really gets back to me with Kellen Mond is that Jimbo Fisher playing quarterback for Jimbo Fisher is up there with one of the, he's one of the hardest coaches to quarterback for. Yeah. You look at the, the quarterbacks that he's had, they've all gone on to the league. They've done, you know, they've, they've done various things. Obviously they're not the best quarterbacks in the league, but they were good enough to get people excited about their league prospects. Yeah. Jimbo Fisher. And I believe there was an article. I think it was an SB nation article just about like what goes into preparing for his offense specifically. And there is something to be said about that because Jimbo Fisher could have easily moved on anytime he wanted to. He's at AM. He could have got a transfer. He could have put in Haynes King. He could have put up whoever he wanted, right? There are blue chips behind Kellen Mond whenever he wanted. He could have moved on. Jimbo Fisher's coach, EJ Manuel, Christian Ponder, Jameis Winston. He knows quarterbacks. <laughs> he could have moved on at any point of the last three years. And he did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's where I'll close this, okay? And, and then we should finish up. It's obviously gone long. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, Texas A&M has gone 26-5 against teams not coached by Nick Saban or Dabo Swinney and 26-4 and versus teams not ranked number one or number two in the country. <laughs> well, guess what? Jimbo Fisher was brought here to become the number one team in the country, right? This is the hardest step. This is yeah. the hardest part. It is one thing to become really competitive and become a playoff contender and, and you know, arguably deserve a shot in the playoff, right? It's, that's one thing. Well, now you got to accomplish a thing that Lincoln Riley never has. Now you got to mm-hmm. accomplish a thing that Kirby Smart has never done, right? You have to become one of the two best teams in the country and have a shot in the national title game. And we yeah. saw this year against Alabama. Texas A&M is not there yet. But mm-hmm. I think that it's going to be really fun to watch next year. And obviously the year after that and the year after that to see, you know, you bring in these top five recruiting classes that are up there with anybody in the country, right? I don't think that recruiting is going to be the issue that you don't beat these teams, right? I think that the talent is there. So the question just becomes, can Texas A&M take that next step and do the thing that Jimbo Fisher was brought here to, to do? And, uh, and again, Right. I think that they're in great shape. I, I am very excited to see how much they grow next year. It's weird that the easy part is beating Auburn. <laughs> it's <laughs> right. like, now you've beaten Auburn, now beat Bama. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And like, and with all that, right, you got to hold off Auburn. You got to hold off yeah. LSU. <laughs> yeah. You got to hold gotta off Georgia. I hope they Georgia. don't come back. Right, yeah, right. So <laughs> it's, a, it's not an easy job in the SEC. It's, it's never easy. And by the way, A&M being good. Played probably paid a not zero sum, uh, zero uh, net zero role in Texas's move. <laughs> Let's be honest here, <laughs> right? Right, let's be 100% honest here. Those boosters know that when they see a seismic shift potentially happening, they got to right. make a move, <laughs> right? So it's gonna be a lot of fun. I, I'm really excited. You know, the thing that I'll say about this season, you know, just kind of wrap it all up with a bow is, yeah, I think that every team this year was interesting, right? Like, I think that yeah. every team this year had some interesting things going on you know I, I think that like with texas state right like texas state was so competitive earlier in the year like we see that it's there we see the vision and you know with the with the utep we got to see upside that we didn't think was going to happen and then you obviously pull that all the way up to the top where you've got texas a&m becoming a national contender and utsa becoming a conference title contender and and now you had steve sarkeesian's texas to the mix i i mean 
it's going to be fun, man. I, I don't know. Like I, we kind of talked about this uh, a, a few weeks ago, but like, I just feel like the state is starting to slowly come to, to such a good place. It, it's starting to finally come back together a little bit. There's not really an underclass anymore like there was, because it used to be that Texas State, UTEP, UTSA, and, uh, and Rice were just mm-hmm. could not compete. Well, that's gone. They're yeah. starting to be able to compete. And I mean, I don't expect Texas State to finish last next year. I don't expect Baylor to finish bottom two next year. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be really fun to see what happens. So, and that's all you can ask for, obviously, as somebody who covers this state, is I just want to see some movement. and uh, Some interesting things happening. Definitely. And right. I think that this was, you know, for obviously the dumbest season in the history of football for a million reasons. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I think that if we can compartmentalize, which we probably shouldn't do, but if we can compartmentalize uh, on what just happened on the field, it's exciting stuff. So. Yeah. So what we're saying is get it together, Dana. Get it together, Dana. Come on, man. What are we doing here? What are we doing? (laughs) You're getting left behind. Everybody's interesting. (laughs) Come on. You can't let SME do that to you. Come on. (laughs) Anyway, anyway. Thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, again, you can find all of our work at textfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell Sex Football. You can find us on Twitter at TZTFCFB. Uh, you can become a subscriber at textfootball.com slash subscribe. And I'll tell you what, it really, really helps us out. Uh, if you become a subscriber, it really helps our content long-term. Um, and yeah, I mean, phew, I'll tell you what, uh, it's not going to be too long before we have to start uh, thinking about magazine stuff. I mean, it's, <laughs> That's, that's how much time we get with this. Golly, that's so wild. We're not even done with high school yet. <laughs> not even done. Not even done. Oh, man. Who, who, do, you gotta, who do you got winning, uh, winning the, the big one, 6A uh, D1? Oh, I got North Shore. I yeah. mean, it, 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 it's, it's going to be hard for me not to go with North Shore. Duncanville, is, as good as Duncanville is, I mean, North Shore bring back, brought back everybody, basically. Um, it's going to be tough for me not to pick them. And granted, now that means they're not going to win because that's how things go. <laughs> Listen, I will bet against Demetrius Davis as soon as he lets me down, which has never happened. So So thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we will be back with you guys again next week.